Here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm not for sure how you were raised. I'm not for sure how the son of Iceman was raised. Dawson Iserlow, producer extraordinaire. Who joins me every weekday morning inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. But in any sort of social setting... Whether that be at a restaurant, whether that would be at a school, at a nightclub, bar establishment, or on the basketball court, if you hit someone in the groin area, that's usually an unacceptable thing. James Harden doesn't theme, doesn't believe that's the case. But thankfully, the refs beg to differ. Like, in what world do you live in and you actually complain afterwards after you hit someone in the groin? And you're like, it's unacceptable that I got a flagrant foul called on me. Dude, you saw the man's junk right in front of you and you went right to it. Like, come on. What are we doing? You're just diving right into the conversation here on a Friday morning. This is RP3 and company, by the way. <laughs> I just, yeah. Should Embiid gotten a flagrant as well for what he did, laying on the floor, kicking up like a child? Yes. Yes. But come on, dude. Like, James, what you doing? What are you doing? What is going on with the 76ers, man? Is there something being taught? By the 76ers, is Doc going, all right, guys, you know what? We just worked on the pick and roll. Let's work on kicking or elbowing or punching people in the man region. Let's go ahead and get that work. Let's get get that work in before practice wraps up today. It's rather strange for a team that's up 3-0. Like, it seems I, like just don't risk anything. You can't have anybody suspended or any, like, weird situations happen. And It makes me want to root against them now. Yeah, well, there's probably a lot of people already were rooting against them, but yeah. I have I have no personal beef with the Philadelphia 76ers. But you had two instances in the same game, Dawson. The same game. And you're up against a team that's got a bunch of dudes. Right? They don't have a star. They don't have a main guy. They're not a real threat to you. You're already up two games to none on them. And they end up winning the game 102 to 97. But what are you doing? Embiid, you're a vet. Harden, you're a vet. Am I missing something? D- does, does this give them an edge to eliminate the Brooklyn Nets? Did anyone believe the Brooklyn Nets had a chance in this series? Anyone? Raise your hand. If you're driving, don't raise your hand. Keep your hands on the wheel. It's stormy outside this morning, so let's be safe. But Dawson can raise his hand. He didn't. I could have raised my hand. I didn't. What are we doing? What? 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 If you're going to be dirty, be dirty. But I don't want to hear 
this this is the modern thing that bugs me. Guys that want to try to ride the line of being a villain, but then make excuses afterwards that when they get upset that they've made been made to be the villain. If you're going to embrace being the bad guy, you want to be the Detroit Pistons, the bad boy Pistons, which I remember fondly because they just accepted it and they're like, yeah, we're going to bully you. We're going to punch you. We're going to step over you. We're going to elbow you in the chest for no apparent reason because that's our identity. This is who we are. We're the bullies on the block, and we're not going to make excuses for it. Great. I can accept that. I can respect that. But going after and hitting somebody in the man region and then saying afterwards that it was unacceptable that you got a flagrant foul. Shut up, James Harden. Just, just be a man. and First of all, be a man and don't do it. That, that, that'd be one. That'd be tops on the list. Number two, just own it. Be like, yeah, it happened. My emotions got the best of me. I deserved the foul. Thankfully, my teammates picked us up. How about that? Is that hard? Because I didn't find it that hard to say. Maybe someone that's far more educated than I can. It was, would it be hard for you to say that, Dawson? No, it would not be difficult. There we go. So, Juco directional school guy can figure it out. Guy that has degrees that are probably framed on the wall was able to do it. See? Ridiculous. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. <laughs> My man Dawson was not was not prepared for the saltiness from yours truly about the NBA playoffs to start off with. He probably thought, oh, this is going to be a ho-hum Friday. RP3's here. He's here on time. He's in a good mood. And then, woof. My apologies if I if I startled you, sir. You okay, bud? Yes, okay. Right. I just didn't want the listener to, you know. Be be startled, but I think I think we got we I think it was uh, well put together thoughts there. Thank we're you. We're all good. Thank you. The 76ers and their shenanigans. They're up now three games to none. Gut check time for the Warriors. We saw this coming though, right? Like we, we saw Steph Curry go. You mentioned it. It came out of your mouth earlier this week after Sacktown went up two to nothing. And Draymond was going to be suspended for game three. And you said, I'm paraphrasing, yeah, but it's Steph Curry, right? And that's exactly what happened. Like, it was the classic response game from Steph. 114 to 97. It really wasn't that close. If you stayed up late to watch the NBA give us two games going on at the same time. Oh. Steph drops 36 points as the Warriors avoid going down three games to none. Now, 2-1 is a different beast than 3-0. We know that when it comes to seven-game series. And the Warriors have been put in this position before. Remember, they were down two games to the Oklahoma City Thunder back in the day. They ended up winning that series, and then they added Kevin Durant the following season. Steph, 36 on 12 of 25 shooting. He was a perfect 6 of 6 from the free throw line. And 
You know what a sign of a great team is? Is when you lose one of your guys and you step up and somebody steps up. We could see this coming from a mile away that we expected Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors to play this way. They were back home as well. They weren't in Sacramento. And they did a nice job. Look, De'Aaron Fox got his, still had 26 points, but he was 9 of 22 shooting. It's a lot of shots to not go in. But not only did they get 36 from Steph, Andrew Wiggins gave him 20 on the offensive side. They get 13 from Clay, really on an off night from him. Poole gave him 16. And Moody gave him 13 off the bench. Always forget they have him. Because he's the type of player that kind of disappears. And then you're like, oh, Moody had 13 points. Yeah, I'd say sometimes they forget they have him too. <laughs> yeah. Golden State in their, their youngish players. It's a bit of a thing. Saw a report too. You know, I don't know if you saw that 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 a lot of the young players are discontent with the situation and playing time and stuff. And I mean, I, I guess I get it. And I think they should have some of them should have roles. But also, like, you got Steph Curry, so I, I don't know. Like, it's yeah, you're you know, come on, it's okay to, to not play quite as much at this point in your career. But I mean, I think some of them, you know, and they've looked, they've gone out and Kuminga and some of those guys probably see themselves as stars in the league in the future so you know it's always that difficult balance like they're on a good team so they're not playing as much but are they not playing as much because they're on a good team or are they not playing as much because they're not quite there with their development or is it a combination it's probably it's usually a combination of both right the other thing was golden state is that don't forget they have a coach who won championships as a player with a veteran team you know if you go back and look on those Bulls teams, they had vets. They relied heavily on their veterans. They didn't rely heavy on young guys. So Kerr came up and thrived as a player, as a role player, winning three titles. With a member of the Chicago Bulls, with a veteran-laden team, he was mentored by Phil Jackson, who likes veteran players. So I'm not surprised by the way Golden State is built. And look, Steph is still in his prime. Clay is still in his prime. Draymond's probably on the back end. So I, I, you're going to have to make that transition eventually. Now, Poole is the guy, the young one of the young guys that, younger guys, that has been incorporated more. The other guys haven't been as much. Um, but, you know, who's Kerr going to trust? Is Kerr going to trust the guys that got him to the dance that helped him win titles, or is he going to trust the guys that are unproven still? Well, he's going to he's going to trust his vets, man. But big response, huge response game by Golden State. The third game last night, which thankfully didn't involve anyone getting punched in the groin or kicked there. Clippers Suns. Have you ever seen, take away the Pelicans, who you're invested in, have we ever seen a collection of talent that is more injury-prone than the Los Angeles Clippers? Like, I just, 
they're always hurt. There's always somebody that's hurt. Maybe Brooklyn, when they've tried to put Durant, Irving, and Harden together, right? Because they can never stay healthy. They can never play. Right? Well, I, I, and did they didn't play. I don't know if they were always due to You had a lot of Well, Kyrie had all on, the right? other stuff, yeah. Well, and that's what kind of feels that way with Kawhi, too. Like, I, I'm not going to say he's not hurt, but it's every time you hear of him being hurt now, you're like, okay, is he hurt or does he not feel like playing or what's the deal here? You know, I, it's crazy, too, because he he, you see it in games one and two. Like, he is one of the best players in the league still. But now he misses game three, and they, they, they almost found a way to win it anyway. And it feels like, man, if you had Kawhi, it definitely feels like the Clippers probably win that game. You know, and of course you can't hold everything constant if he's back, but I, I think that's tough for them. And now Phoenix is, uh, you know, they might have gotten a little lucky in this series. And it's not over yet, certainly, but... My big takeaway so far, and you're right, it's not over yet. Look, the Clippers got 30 from Westbrook last night and 42 from Powell, but they were also starting Eric Gordon and Zubiak and Batum. Like... That's what you have to put out on the floor. Because Paul George, guess what, injured for the entire series. Kawhi Leonard has to miss last night. And my big takeaway is I like Phoenix to win this series. My bigger concern is this series so far through three games, and I know it's three games, and we talked about is Phoenix the type of team, Dawson, that's going to build up momentum and kind of come together. They struggled to beat a Kawhi Leonard, Paul George-less Clippers team last night. As it stands this morning, I have far less faith that the Phoenix Suns can even make it to the Western Conference Finals than I did before. Because it has been a struggle for them through three games against a Clippers team that hasn't had Paul George the entire series, has a guy that many people deemed as hot garbage in Russell Westbrook giving them huge minutes, and then missed Kawhi Leonard last night. And you still struggled. It just gives me pause now because you look at it and you go, Durant, Paul, DeAndre Aiden, Devin Booker, right? And you look at him. Durant gave you 28 last night. Booker, of course, went off for 45. And all of their other starters got, gave them double figures. But my confidence level, watching the games watching how they've played against a wounded, battered Clippers team makes me go, eh, I don't know. That's what it makes. I, my confidence level in Phoenix has decreased. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the concern. I still think as, as the, the farther this team goes and the more they get to play with each other, I think they're going to get better. And, you know... I think now with what the Clippers have put themselves up against, I think Phoenix finds a way to win the series. And then every time they get to a new series, it's a reset. And I think they're going to play better each time. So I understand like the concern, but also I, I still think they're the most talented roster in the playoffs right now. And I think at some point that might matter, um, especially if they start to figure some things out, particularly on the defensive end, maybe. Um, it, it's been, a, it's been a, a bit of a strange series, again, as you mentioned, with Kawhi now out and Paul George was already out and Russell Westbrook was a late addition kind of the way Kevin Durant was so like these are some some interesting teams and um, they'll you know. play Denver in the next round and we we talk about the Nuggets not being ready for the moment in the last couple of years that they're built for the regular season they're not built for the postseason I, I guess you would still lean towards Phoenix 
beating Denver, I wonder if the Clippers can push them. But I don't know, man. I, I just I haven't been all that in impressed with with Phoenix, and they seem to struggle. And defensively, they struggle. We got to take a timeout because that's what Dawson tells me to do. I just do what he says. I'm just along for the ride. He's the driver. I'm the passenger. So when he says it's time to pull over to get gas and snacks and use the bathroom, that's what we do on this road trip every morning. You're the driver, bud. Live from the Evco Development Studios. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Round one of the Zurich Classic is in the books. Tons of low scores from the first day down at TPC Louisiana. And our man, our golf expert here on RP3 and Company, a man who has experience on the course, he's played the course, he's mastered the course. He won't tell you that, but I'm going to tell you that. I have inside information that our guy Dawson Iserlo has mastered the TPC Louisiana. So much so that they force him when he goes back and plays to play from the PGA Tour tee boxes because they're like, dude, really? So we've now gotten to the point of telling blatant, blatant lies <laughs> that aren't even founded in some sort of truth underneath and underlying. So anyway, that's fine. But, you um, are the RP3 and company expert about TPC Louisiana, though. Yeah, I would. I would say I have more information about the course than you and 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 anyone else here. Yes. Yes. See, so you are. An That's expert, not what bud. you said. That's not what you said. Though. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. All right. Your big takeaway from look, it, it's an interesting format. Once again, it's the only team format tournament on tour. They you know rotate from day to day, so it can get a little confusing. But what did you make of the first day? What was your big takeaways from the first day of the Zurich Classic? Yeah, so the course was very gettable, uh, very good conditions, no real rain or wind to speak of. Lots um, of low scores. Yeah, so it was a day you had to go out there and put some birdies on the card, and a lot of guys did that. And, and, and you know, in this team format, and it's two-man teams, so, you know, the only other team-type things you have is kind of the Riders' Cup, President's Cup stuff, but that's not really even remotely similar to what they're doing here, so... Um, best ball format, essentially both players play the hole in its entirety and you take the better score of the two each hole. So that's, that's why you're seeing some guys sitting already at 10 under par. And today's going to be really interesting though, because you're going to switch to alternate shot in day number two, which is uh, actually alternate shot is arguably more difficult than regular than just playing by yourself, regular golf. Because again, as I was mentioning yesterday, you now have to hit a tee shot with someone and then go to the other player for the approach shot. And if they hit the ball out of bounds, then, you know, it's the second player who has to then deal with that. Correct. So you're not putting, you know, when you're playing by yourself, you're putting yourself in the positions you know you're comfortable with, but now you have to now work that out with a teammate. So we'll see much lower or higher scores, I should say, um, as in, you know, not quite as low. 
But also the weather's coming in today. So correct. Tea times are moved up. I think I mentioned that in the drill. They're going to start at seven o'clock, and I think the plan. My guess. I don't have any information about this, but my guess would be they're just going to try and get as much in as they can before the weather hits. Because um, once that storm cell hits, that that looks like it's going to go through New Orleans today. I, I don't think they're going to get play back resumed. Um, I don't think either. And what's going to make things interesting is then you're more than likely going to have to delay having the cut until Saturday morning. Which, for me, becomes a pretty good thing because John Daly is three over par with David Duvall. And the I only to group, see the big guy. The only group to shoot over par for the first round, by the way. Yeah, and, it, you know, and again, I know some people may not be exactly familiar with this format and stuff. I, I will tell you that in a two-man best ball format on the PGA Tour, Shooting over par at TPC Louisiana is not uh, something you would have. They're not, four have, strokes like to see. behind the group that is tied for 78th. So, so they it wasn't have day, some but, work to do. Yeah, yeah, but hey, I mean, stranger things have happened. But again, also maybe they'll play on Saturday, and I'll get to see uh, the big fella anyway. Um, but regardless of that, yeah. So the cut's going to get changed up, and you're going to have some interesting things that that take place here. But I think anybody. The other thing that's interesting about this format. It's like with Saturday, you know, the the third round, I should say, whether it happens late Saturday or into Sunday, however it works, is also going to be best ball the way yesterday was. And it's a lot harder to make up ground when you're playing best ball, to be honest, because everybody's making birdies, if that makes sense. So Correct. So an alternate shot. Now, if you're one of those guys like uh, the defending champs, you know, Shoffley and Cantlay are are five shots back, I think, they have to make a charge today. And because alternate shots really that opportunity to kind of surge up the leaderboard. Because when you get back to best ball on Saturday, everyone's going to be making birdies and it's just going to be hard to rise the leaderboard. So pay attention today to the guys that are either able to stay in that top, you know, four or five groups um, because you can't play your way. You know, you can't win the tournament on Thursday, but you can lose it. That's the old adage. And I think it's pretty, pretty real. And especially in this type of tournament, like it's those guys who are more than three shots off the lead are going to have a very difficult time catching back up. Who do you like in the groups today? based on the format, to possibly make some movement on the leaderboard? Well, one of the groups, and I was listening to PGA Tour Radio yesterday and got to hear a good bit of it, Sung JM and Keith Mitchell is a really interesting pairing. Those are a couple of guys that, uh, you know, you wouldn't, and there was actually some funny press conference clips of uh, Keith's been teaching Sung Jay about Georgia football. Um, Sung Jay's not too familiar with American football, being from South Korea, but they were making jokes about that. But those guys are both two of like the better ball strikers on tour. They don't hit the ball out of play a whole lot. And I think that combination, look, they already shot 10 under yesterday to put themselves in a great spot. And now they get a situation in alternate shot where you don't have a whole lot of, like some of the, you know, the bigger hitters who maybe are at risk of losing a tee shot here and there. In alternate shot, that becomes difficult. But those guys both, they pretty much stripe it. And so those I, I'm paying attention to those two in particular to maybe make a surge and be potentially your leaders after 36 holes a group that I like that's right there with them Fitzpatrick isn't the biggest hitter on tour but the guy has excellent ball striking yeah and his short game is really really good so if I would expect to see some movement from them as well and look to your point the leaders we have two pairs at 11 under then we have five groups at 10 under, and then we have six groups at nine under. So it's going to be jumbled. And to your point about the format, 
today would be the day. Whoever gets to go on the course early enough and try to get in as much golf before the storm cell comes through is going to have a great advantage. That's possible. Yeah, now sometimes, though, when the, when the course gets wet like that, it makes it even more gettable afterwards when it dries out a little bit. So we'll see. But, yeah, Matt Fitzpatrick and his brother Alex. I think another thing that's people aren't probably familiar with Alex, but he's playing in his second PGA Tour event, played his college golf at Wake Forest, just finished up there, and is in on a sponsor exemption. But he can really play. And he had a stretch where he made a couple of birdies himself yesterday. Um, this isn't really a situation where Matt Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick chose to play with his brother and is going to carry him along. Like Alex can really play, so those two play. are they're definitely play. contenders. We'll keep an eye on what happens with the Zurich Classic, which we'll be teeing off a little bit earlier today due to the bad weather expected to come through the state. They're going to start teeing off at 7 o'clock, and we'll, we'll keep you up to date with what's going on down at the Zurich Classic down at TPC Louisiana. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll unveil the poll question of the day and we'll look ahead to next week's NFL draft. Our guy, James Mesh, he's our draft expert. He does the mock drafts, not only just for the Saints, but for the entire first round. He's been doing this for us for a couple of years now. We'll break down his latest version 2.0. Dawson and I will. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I'm dancing inside the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette this morning. You know why? Because we're getting closer and closer to the NFL draft. There'll be plenty of dancing going on Thursday night for the round one. Family members, players themselves. Maybe we'll get to see Roger Goodell do a jig. I know Dawson's looking forward to that. <laughs> if we, If you went to the draft, we talked about this, that, you know, there's like going to be a quarter of a million people going to Kansas City for the three days of the draft this year. Uh, a stage that's the size of a football field outside of Union Station, 10,000 square feet of LED television screens. If you pay all that money to go, I'm talking about you personally, are you going to spend your time in between picks booing the commissioner? Is that something that you do? Like, Are you a big booing the commissioner guy? I mean, uh, no, I don't know. I don't care that much, I guess. Yeah, it's, it seems like a lot of energy. Yeah. Right? It seems like a lot of energy used on booing the commission. <laughs> Just, you know, I don't necessarily care for him all that much, but... Um, Again, I don't think I'd be there in the first place, so it won't be an issue. I won't have to worry about it. <laughs> I so hope the draft comes close to us like comes to New Orleans. So, I'll go and you I'll, I'll get your credential, bud. Oh yeah, there we go. Oh, that's different. See, it's different to go to cover it as a member of media than it would be just to be some random dude that bought tickets to yeah for the draft. Maybe there'll be some bags of pretzels in the back for media members so I can really enjoy it. Man, man wants his pretzels. Oh, so 
the closer we get now to the draft, it appears that we're going to have five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Lots of buzz about Hendon Hooker possibly being a top 15 pick. So there's Bryce Young out of Alabama, C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, Will Levis eh, out of Kentucky, Anthony Richardson eh, out of Florida, and Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. For me personally, I don't see a generational Andrew Luck Peyton Manning, even Cam Newton kind of guy. I just don't. I see some guys that could probably be pretty good if put in the right situation. And that's the big thing about quarterbacks that we always kind of look over. We're like, well, this guy's a bust. Well, did he go to the right team? Did he go to the right organization? Did he go to a coach that understands how to develop young quarterbacks? Did the team decide to thrust him into the spotlight as a rookie when he didn't really have the pieces around him to help him succeed? There's a lot of nuance yeah. involved well, and that's, with quarterbacks. That's also why this year I think is a little unique. I don't necessarily think that it's, yeah, like you mentioned, I don't know if there's generational guys, but the situations that they're likely going to go into, I don't hate either. Like, I don't think Carolina is your typical, which, I mean, they traded up for it, so that's a little different as well. But, like, I don't think they're your typical number one overall pick team that is fully torn down and terrible. I would agree like, with I that. I think Carolina has some pieces on the defensive end, and I have some certainly some concerns about what they're doing offensively with now trading away some of their best guys and, and, and no more McCaffrey and stuff like that. But, like, I don't think that team is completely awful. And I think, to be honest, they might have the second-best roster in the South behind the Saints. Um, so I, it's not like you're t- now offensively though, there are, there are a lot of holes. So if it's Bryce Young or if it's CJ Stroud or whoever it ends up being there, it's not going to be, you know, rainbows and sunshine when they walk in the building. But like, I just don't, it's not like the classic, Oh, the Browns are Oh, and 16 and you're going and you're the first pick as a quarterback and you're going to be on a terrible team. It's just not quite the same thing this year. Even like some of the other, you know, if Houston, it, Houston's like they, they're further, they've been rebuilding for a couple of years now. I don't think they're necessarily as far along as maybe they'd like to be but like they're just not this the the same as sometimes when you see the completely deconstructed roster here's the savior go in and and work with nothing if indy can get their act together too it seems like they would it's not that far off for them to be competitive and be good again so uh, look five we, we know this by history right dawson the majority of the guys taken, really in the draft period, but we're having a conversation about quarterbacks. There's usually one guy, maybe two, that's going to be great. Maybe. Maybe. Out of a handful of guys that are going to be drafted in the first round. The other guys, some are going to be bust, some are going to be journeymen. That's how it works. And it all depends on the situation. Look, if you're asking me about the quarterbacks, the guy who's probably the smartest, has probably the most poise, and is probably going to be the guy that you can coach the hardest, is Bryce Young. The problem for Bryce is he's small. He's small. So that's what it boils down to. You see what Bryce can do, but he's small. 
you look at C.J. Stroud, I think he's probably the safest pick of the five. He's more of a pocket passer than you think. I think he's, I think his ceiling, his floor rather, is probably the highest. Is his ceiling the highest? No. Anthony Richardson's ceiling's the highest. So it's interesting because we get all these different kind of guys here. Bryce Young, it's his size. C.J. Stroud, I think he's the safest pick, the safest bet. You worry about the history of Ohio State quarterbacks, but Justin Fields is starting to maybe change that narrative where you go, okay. Anthony Richardson is all potential. A lot of the measurables that he has reminds you of Cam Newton. But I watched the guy play. He struggled to complete passes against Vanderbilt. What's he going to do in the NFL? Like, I, that that's a legit question I have. And I'm not knocking the young man because he's an athletic freak. But I worry about reading defenses with Anthony Richardson. He's got the big arm. He's got all the physical tools. Well, so... But the production's not there. So let's look and then and then talk about a few of the landing the potential landing spots that Mesh has here in mock draft 2.0. The first one's Bryce Young going to Carolina number one, which I think we're getting more and more buzz about. It sounded like Stroud for a while. Now it's sounding more like Bryce Young. I thought it was going to be Stroud. We've had honest. some Anthony Richardson rumors mixed in, but but it seems like it's going to be one of the two guys we expect. And for now, it's it, the rumors are kind of leaning towards Bryce Young. So if he's in Carolina again, like I said. I don't hate that spot for him. I still, you know, and, and Carolina's brought in a couple of veteran guys. Um, I would, and I'm almost always going to be a proponent of letting a guy sit as a rookie. But I think if Bryce Same Young goes into Thank Carolina, you. you let, what is it, Red Rifle in there now? You let him play maybe eight, nine games at the least, and then you see what you have. But, like, I don't hate that landing spot for Bryce Young if that's where it ends up. I agree, and I don't hate the landing spot that he has for C.J. Stroud going to Indianapolis. That would be at number four. He's, he said in his draft mock draft that he doesn't think that there's going to be a trade up tra- guys trading up to number two to get Stroud. I think that might be wrong. I think somebody goes up. I think it might be Indy, but I think they might go up to two just to ensure that they get him because they're going to be scared that other teams are going to go up and get him. They're going to be scared that Arizona is going to trade out of the three spot. Well, would Arizona go up and take a quarterback with no. Tyler's situation? No, no, I'm saying like that you trade right. back down they, to for someone may, else. Right, they right. may trade up to two. Because they're worried that Arizona may trade out yes. and someone may, may may get their quarterback. Yeah. Yes. So then you have Stroud. Now the other two are interesting as well. Las Vegas is is where James has Anthony Richardson going. Well, I uh, think that's the worst possible. It's funny spot. because it's such a roll of the dice of a pick. Maybe Vegas would be a fitting spot for him. But yeah, no that 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 was going to be my point to you. I I actually think Las Vegas is a worse landing spot than Carolina or Indianapolis. Like as far as a rookie quarterback going in. I'm not convinced that Las Vegas has is going to have things figured out. Like I can see the vision in Carolina for sure, and and for the most part in Houston. I don't know where Vegas is going. And I don't I think, trust Josh McDaniels. Right, and a guy and a guy like Ant- the biggest project of the four, Anthony Richardson going there. I I don't think that works out well if that's what happens. I agree. And then lastly, when you start to look down the first round a little bit, he does have Will Levis going to Tennessee at number eleven. That's intriguing. Tennessee's in a weird spot, right? They're in this kind of quarterback purgatory spot that Minnesota's been in for for a long time. Like Tannehill had that great year, um, but it seems like it's 
you know, just trended in the wrong, and it seems like maybe they're ready for a fresh start. Of the guys that are projected to be the five first-round picks at quarterback, the guy I have the most trepidation about is Will Levis. Which Will Levis are you going to get? Are you getting 2021 Will Levis? I know he had more weapons there. Yeah, it was a better team. It was a better team. I I, I understand that. But we, we've seen guys elevate other guys. Now, and I saw a lot of mental breakdowns and mistakes, even when he wasn't rushed this last season. He regressed, in my opinion, but people love him because they got the arm. But I saw a comp the other day that makes me run for the hills. Someone gave him a comp of Jake Locker. And I'm like... And Jake Locker was much more productive in college than Levis was. Correct. For the length, now, for the longevity there. Mesh does something intriguing here. Texans don't take their quarterback early because D'Amico Ryans takes the edge rusher Anderson out of Alabama. But they get their quarterback at 12. Yeah, and, and Hooker, I mean, look, it's it's interesting. The, the thing I did want to say back to Levis a little bit is going to Tennessee, there's a difference, too, between a, a bridge quarterback that – like the Andy Dalton-type bridge quarterback and the Ryan Tannehill-type bridge quarterback, where I think Tennessee does see a scenario in which Tannehill works out for another year and they get back to the postseason, and Levis completely sits. And like I think that's the best case for Will Levis, is going somewhere where he doesn't have to see the field in year one. Like He can fully focus on just getting better. I could also see an organization led by a head coach and Mike Vrabel go, we're not taking a quarterback in the first round. No, yeah, well, and I mean, again, look, we're, we're just basing this right, off of where, right. where our guy Mesh has here, but... You know, Hooker to the, to the Texans is intriguing as well, but, you know, I think Houston, if I'm Houston, I think I want one of the two more sure bets than Hooker. I think I want to go Stroud or Young if I'm Houston. And, and, and again, for this exercise, Mesh said that, you know, he, he felt like the Texans were going to go in a different direction with their first pick. I, I think maybe you take Stroud if he's there. If Bryce Young is gone and Stroud is there, I think maybe you take Stroud. Um, but Hooker does have some long-term potential, like, and 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 there's a lot to really like there. Some people believe Anderson may be the best prospect in the entire draft. That's probably it's, it's and possible. you're going to pass on him for a guy that may be a middle-tier quarterback. So I, I agree, they're in a weird spot, right? New head coach and everything like that. So go check out James Mesh's mock draft 2.0. It's available for free at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. That also leads us to our poll question of the day. Who is the best quarterback in this year's draft? Is it Bryce Young? Is it C.J. Stroud? Is it Anthony Richardson? Or is it other? Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, or someone else? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. (laughs) 
Oh, poll question of the day. Who's the best quarterback prospect in this year's NFL draft? Right now, 38% of you say Bryce Young, 25% say C.J. Stroud, 9% say Anthony Richardson, and 28% of you say other. JPK, the OD, says Bryce Young, day one starter. C.J. Stroud, best chance to be a bust. Anthony Richardson, best upside with the right coach. Will Levis, best chance to be drafted too high by a team looking for the next Josh Allen. Best dark house to be the steal of the draft, Aiden O'Connell. Just my two cents. Ralph says, tricky question. Best college QB of these was young, but the best NFL quarterback? We'll have to wait a few years to find out. So many of these high picks flame out because they go to bad teams, and there's a reason the same teams are drafting high each year. Ton says, I think Young goes number one, unlike Murray. I don't think he'll be overrated. I think Shroud is a bit overrated. Same with Richardson, in my opinion. The truth is none of them are good enough to make an immediate impact in the league, but they all have the potential to be good to great NFL quarterbacks. Salty Steve says, quarterbacks are iffy. You can't talk good or bad about them until two years after they retire or they'll make a fool out of you 90% of the time. John Paul says, I do not know. Never saw Stroud play. Got to see the others when playing LSU. Between the two I've seen play it is Bryce Young in the notorious dub. Not too familiar with other or his career, but with this year's option, I chose other. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's RP3 and company. Hour one was sensational. What will hour two bring us? Even more sensationalism. James Yasko will help us kick it off from the Lima Time Time podcast. That's next right here on The Game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number two has arrived here on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Please make sure to be safe out there this morning. Bad weather coming through not only southwest Louisiana, but all of Louisiana today. Storm system coming through. You heard Chris Cozart from KLFY give you that report about possibility of hail and tornadic activity. So please be careful out there today with your commute to work and school. Great first hour in the books. We talked about the Philadelphia 76ers apparently deciding to punch and kick people in the groin area in a game that they were winning and a series that they're now up three games to none. Touched on the NBA playoffs. Warriors answered with Steph Curry dropping 36 in a win over Sacramento as well. We also touched on the NFL draft. It is next week, people. Next week. First round is on Thursday, and that leads us to our poll question of the day, of course. Which one of the quarterback prospects do you believe is going to be the best? Is it going to be Bryce Young? Is it going to be C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, or is it maybe Will Levis or Hendon Hooker? Go vote on our poll question of the day and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll also make sure 
to give you updates from the Zert Classic, which will be teeing off round number two down at TPC Louisiana, starting from right now. But right now, it's time for us to talk Houston Astros baseball and Major League Baseball with our guy from the Lima Time Time podcast, formerly a man who worked at the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he's now a contributor for the Houston Chronicle. James Yasko joins us now. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you today, my friend? You know, when I said I'd, I I would not have preferred Zoom, I uh, I wish I could take that back. I washed my hair, I shaved, I've got some beard balm in. Like I look, I look good. I, I messed that up. I, that was a whiff on my part. <laughs> oh, the man missed an opportunity, an opportunity. So, all right, brother. I'm glad you're dressed and groomed properly because here comes the questions. What's the biggest surprise for you? The fact that the Rangers are leading the division by nearly four games or the fact that the Mariners are on the struggle bus eight and 11 overall and have lost three in a row? Yeah, they're not going to be able to put up the April, you know, AL West champ uh, banner if they keep it up uh, like this over the over the next 10 days. Uh, the, the we talked about this. The Rangers are a decent team, um, and you know they've they've won games that they that you know maybe that they wouldn't have won in the past few years. But yeah, they're all right. But you know, how many times have we seen the Astros kind of limp out of the gate a little bit and then and then eventually catch fire? So it, nothing to be concerned about. Nothing to be concerned about. But the Rangers have also dealt with some severe injuries to their star players, and yet they're still winning. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's credit to them. Great for them. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the biggest regret is that I, I live closer to, to Arlington than I do Houston, and all of these reprobate Rangers fans want to act like the standings matter on April 21st. That's the most, that's the most annoying. That's where I wish the Astros would get it together. But uh, I don't know if you saw the video that I sent you, but I went to a game at Globe Life there a couple of weekends ago. And um, it, it does look like a giant Costco. Uh, the parking situation is a bit of a nightmare because, you know, they didn't make more parking. They just simply took the parking lot from the old ballpark and put a ballpark there. And uh, I, I had to park in an area where I paid 40 bucks for parking and had to uh, shimmy my way through an opening in a barbed wire fence and cross railroad <laughs> tracks to get to the ballpark. So not yep. exactly the most ideal thing. They're used. To, they didn't think about parking because most of their fans get dropped off from county jail. Uh, so they have they have a you know an old white school bus that they normally take. No one thought to build more parking. No, my wife went and saw Elton John at Globe Life back in like October, and she came home and she actually talked about how much she hated that stadium more than she talked about how much she loved that concert. It's just weird. The angles are weird on the inside too. Like in. It's got a lot of space, a lot of concourse space, but it's just you, you'll have to go because it's 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 an odd, it's an interesting ballpark. I don't know if it's a great ballpark, if that makes any sense. Like it's really interesting, it's fascinating how it's designed and laid out, but I don't know if it's it's a great venue to watch a game. All right, I'm assuming it's not. I, I'm not going. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, not going. I'm, I'm assuming it's terrible. I'm not going. It says. All right, let's talk about. Just when we get some positive news that Michael Brantley is on the men, he's going to be making his first start, uh, his rehab assignment down in Sugarland. It's expected on Sunday. But this past week, Chaz McCormick gets put on the IL as well. Uh, that's very weird to me because they were talking about him having vision problems, but then they listed him 
for something that has nothing to do with his vision. Whoa, what happened to McCormick? I no, I don't know. Like it, it, at one point, I was like, "It took y'all this long to give the dude a Claritin? Like, what? What are we? It's, it's spring in Texas. Like, of course, it's allergies. Now it maybe doesn't seem so allergy-like. So it's, it's that's that's a weird situation that you know, typical of the Astros. They're not going to say anything. Um, but no, it's it's worth keeping an eye on for sure. So McCormick did such a nice job into the leadoff role. Then he gets injured, and then you essentially move Dubon, uh, Dubon there, and he's kind of done a nice job as well. What's going to happen when Brantley does get called up? How's that going to reshuffle the lineup, especially with the injury now to McCormick? I think you'll – I mean, Brantley, was, he can hit – you know, he could be in the two spot. He could be in the six spot. Uh, he could be He could be in the seven spot. He could, Brantley is someone that, that you can put him sort of wherever – Dubon, I I take back every terrible thing that I said about Mauricio Dubon, and I said plenty of terrible things about about Mauricio Dubon. Uh, his transformation into 2014 Jose Altuve uh, over the last three weeks has been has been nothing short of amazing. He has played extremely well, and they've needed him to play extremely well. I mean, that, that's the big part of it. Alvarez has played so well to start the season. Kyle Tucker has played so well to start the season. Bregman bit on the struggle bus. Jeremy Pena, I know he had the home run the other night, but he has struggled mightily. I, I want to talk about Jeremy because we know Breggs is always a slow starter. Yep. Always in his entire career has been that way. Pena was such a sensation last year coming up as a rookie, filling that void left by Carlos Correa's departure. He was awesome in the playoffs. Did we make the expectations for year number two too high for the playoff MVP? See, I, I think that the, his postseason performance skewed skewed our expectations. He was a he's a two, he was a two forty hitter. Like there wasn't he only walked like twenty two times, you know, and playing one hundred and forty games or something like that. That's like that's like maybe once a week you you see ball four. Um, I, I don't know that our. I mean, when you do it in the postseason, it's reasonable to assume that you can do it against the Tigers in April. Um, but I, I don't. I've always sort of tempered my expectations in that second year, just because now the league has has plenty of film, and it's not like you don't have plenty of film by August or September. Um, but this, the second year is always a struggle, as you have to make the adjustment to the adjustments that the league makes to you. So. I, I, it's not terribly surprising, um, but and 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 maybe the the game against the Wednesday game against the Blue Jays that sort of you know kind of wakes everybody up when you when you put together an, an inning like that late against a, a, a pretty good team. So it'll be I, I sort of wish they didn't have the off day yesterday so they could just kind of carry that momentum from from Wednesday straight into the series against your Atlanta Braves. Um, but no, I think it's reasonable to to always just sort of assume that maybe the second year isn't isn't going to be the MVP year. We're talking with James Yasko. He's the co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast. He's Houston Chronicle contributor. He's just all around a well-groomed individual. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. If I would have told you before the start of the season, while we were talking, you know, uh, Premier League soccer, that Jake Myers would be having a better season at the dish than Jeremy Pena and Alex Bregman both. 
you would have told me what? I I would have. I mean, that's that's blasphemy. I, I would I would I would not have. I, I've said terrible things about Jake Myers in the last like two weeks. Like this is sort of. <laughs> I guys, I really think that Jake Myers is like, I need to figure this out, or I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in Sugarland uh, until I get released. Um, so whatever you get from Jake Myers is, is kind of gravy, but it's it's fun to see. I didn't expect it. Do you think Jose Abreu's uh, turned a corner? I think so. Uh, he had, you know, with a with a guy like that, I mean, you know, he can hit, and and it's it's. You know, but you could say that about about Yuli Gurriel. Like he was a great hitter until all of a sudden he wasn't. Uh, I don't think Abreu's on that on that track. I think he's had kind of a, a tough few weeks, but you know, the the past week has shown that you know I, I, the hits are going are going to start coming, and and then the power uh, the power will come with it. Yeah, he leads the team in hits with twenty one, which I was a little surprised by. Let's go over to the pitching staff. You know. Framer hasn't had his best stuff, but he's kind of grinded it out and is has pitched fairly well. You still expect him to get better as the season has gone on. Christian Javier has been – he and Hunter Brown have been the best two pitchers on, on the staff so far. But Garcia finally breaks through with a win earlier this week against Toronto. And Arquiti we expect to be better as well. What do you make – of the pitching staff so far, and do you have any concerns? Uh, I mean, the I think I talked. We talked last week about Luis Garcia, you know, kind of adjusting to to the pitch clock, um, and then and then he absolutely balled out, you know, Wednesday night, and and apparently just needed to get yelled at, which you know, I've I've got I've got girl soccer players that there a couple of them if you just straight up yell at yell at them, you could see their soul leave their body. But some of them really need that. Like they, they need something to just sort of fire them up right before a game. Apparently, Luis Garcia is the same way. So there's a there needs to be a yell guy, and and right before Garcia goes out there, you need to go out and call his mama names and all of all of that good stuff. The concerns, I mean, Montero is a Rafael Montero is a concern. You know, Hector Neris is a concern. Uh, Brian Abreu did an absolutely masterful job getting out of that jam. Uh, that was created when Garcia left the game. So if if there are pitching concerns right now, it's getting a little consistency in the uh, in the bullpen. Brother, I'll get you out of here with this. It's early in the season, but we do expect the AL West to be a little bit tougher. I don't think it's going to be as much of a cakewalk as it has been in years past. One, due to the scheduling tw- uh, changes, tweaks this year. But also, I think the Rangers have gotten better. The Angels have gotten better. And Seattle, uh, we thought, was getting better. But they're, 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 they're struggling right now. Hate to see it. Is that necessarily a bad thing? And, and what I mean by that is, I, that could be good that your division rivals are going to test you, especially if you're trying to win back-to-back. Because teams that try to win back-to-back, it's so hard because it's hard to get an edge when you're on top of the mountain. And you have a veteran group of guys that have won now two World Series titles. Is it possibly a good thing that maybe they're going to be tested more so than they have in years past by their own division? I think so. You know, and when you're when it's September and you're, you're on, when it's September 1st and you're on Magic Number Watch, 
you know, then then really what's keeping you locked in is is you're aiming for some sort of statistical milestone or, you know, had 200 strikeouts or 30 home runs or, or whatever. When when you, there's a little bit of a grind, you know, that helps you keep your edge. And they're veteran enough and have done this enough that I don't know that they need to be told like, oh, hey, you know, the, the playoffs are coming. Like we need to we need to lock it in. I think they're already there, but you know, the more you can be pushed and you can be challenged, um, you know, that that's that's good for them, and it, I think it's good for it's good for the fans. You know, it, it's 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 fun to look at a, a late August or a September series and be like, hey, this is actually like pretty huge. Like we th- th- this actually means something, and I don't know that the Astros have played many meaningful games uh, in September in the last few years. All right, bud, one more. My producer here, he's already extraordinary. Dawson Iserlow. We call him D-Lo. I've also given him the nickname Two Degrees, which he doesn't care for. And I mean it as a compliment because my man got out there, grinded it out, got himself a bachelor's degree from the University of Louisiana Lafayette, then went to Florida State and got himself a master's degree and only needed a year to do it. Like My man got it together with the academics, and I, 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 I applaud him, and I say that's something that should be praised he feels uncomfortable about it you're a man with high academia standards could you talk to my producer and say you know what embrace the fact that you're well educated can you do that for me right now hey uh, what was what's the master's degree in Delo? sport management okay so i mean you're you're in better shape than i am i'm paying i'm still paying I, i have my master's degree in a field that has nothing to do with what I'm what I'm currently doing, so you know, you should be you should be proud of the fact that you are not sending Florida State money every month. Still, it's been degree, and it's actually you can actually use it. That's incredible. Way to go! Where'd you get your bachelor's and your master's degree from, Bud? Bachelor's was was the Abilene Christian University. Master's was from the University of Oklahoma. Whew. Y'all, man, y'all spent y'all spent the good money on those degrees. Spent those good that good money on those degrees. I regret all of the choices <laughs> that that led me down that path. <laughs> James, thank you so much, brother. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. Best of luck in this. No, no, I'm not going to wish you best of luck against my Braves. Just I, I hope you enjoy a, a weekend filled with disappointment. I, I hope that, that you look down and you are on your living room floor in tears, somehow missing a sock. <laughs> Thank you, bud. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on On the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NFL Draft is next week. We already got James Mesh's Mock Draft 2.0 up for you at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Go check that out. 
He's got five quarterbacks taken in the top 15. One guy always falls, though, right? It, 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 traditionally. I don't know how I feel about I don't, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know about all of them. <laughs> I just always have, always have trepidation when it comes to quarterbacks. Who is the best quarterback prospect in this year's NFL draft? Is it Bryce Young from Alabama? Is it CJ Stroud from Ohio State? Is it Anthony Richardson, who dazzled everyone at the combine from the University of Florida, but couldn't complete passes against Vanderbilt? Or is it Will Levis? Are you going to get 2021 Will Levis? Or are you going to get 2022 Will Levis? Or is it Hendon Hooker? I like Hendon Hooker a lot. Here's my concern about Hendon Hooker. The sample size is very small. Like he had a breakout season midway through, right, under Josh Heupel. Then he started off and he was a Heisman contender before the injury. Is that enough? Is that enough game film for me to go, there's some of the reads where I go, hmm, like I go, eh. Because, look, the biggest issue for guys, and I, it, the fact that he's 25 and coming off an injury, eh, eh, not as much. Is You see it all the time. College offenses are college offenses, right? And a lot of times, you can get away in college with doing one read Dawson and then just chucking it up. Because the matchups favor your offense because you don't have NFL All-Pro or Pro Bowl cornerbacks and safeties that you're going up against every week. You're just not. So you have Tillman, you have Hyatt, Hooker can throw it up to either one. So making the adjustment and learning how to read defenses. And the biggest thing that I always see with quarterbacks, making the adjustment. And we're going to dive into this more on Monday when Chrissy Freud joins us. Okay, She's great with quarterbacks. She analyzes them. That's one, She's one of the best in the business. And she's going to break down these quarterbacks for the draft for us on Monday. A little bit of a sneak peek there. Is the reads and the anticipation throws. So many guys... In college, throw to guys when they're open. They, they aren't taught how to throw to a spot. And making that adjustment to the NFL to throw to a spot and reading the defense are the things that I always see guys struggle with the most. Yeah, I think the word you were looking for was analyzes. And uh, I like the word you said, though. I think that we can maybe create something out of that. But anyway, um, I think the thing I would say with that and Hooker, though, is that that's, that's every quarterback in college now. And, like, certainly there's maybe some yeah. systems that are more simplified than others. So, but I do worry that almost, the Tennessee system is a little too simplified. Maybe so, but, like, I, like you know, that's kind of my point here is, is essentially every quarterback in college now has to make the adjustment to going to the NFL and making reads because most, if not all, college offenses are much simpler than NFL offenses. So, now... Are those guys capable of making that jump? Some are, some aren't. And that's part of like when people kind of make, you know, points about the pre draft process and the interviews and stuff. I think that's a lot of times what these teams are looking for. Is this guy going to be able to process what we give him? Correct. B Rad says it's Bryce Young. They're kidding themselves with Anthony Richardson, banking on him being a Jalen Hurts story, but I don't see it. He can be a Taysom Hill type player, though. Keep those comments like that coming. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. We got to take a timeout. When we return, 
We're going to talk Raging Cajun baseball and softball with Seth Lewis, sports director of KETC. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Boy, it's a good time to be a raging Cajun. The softball team's ranked in the top 25, winning series after series. The baseball team just came off beating the number one ranked team in the country. First time they accomplished that feat since 2014. To break down all things Vermilion and White is our friend, the sports director from KATC, Seth Lewis, joins us now. Seth, good morning to you, bud. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing great, brother. Doing great. So we were there earlier this week together there at Alex Box Stadium for a, let's be honest, a convincing win over number one ranked LSU. First time they've even faced a number one ranked opponent since 2015 Super Regionals and the first win over a number one ranked opponent since 2014. Both of those times came against LSU. What stood out to you the most about what you saw from Matt Deggs' squad there in Baton Rouge on Tuesday night? Well, you mentioned how convincing it was. And I think it would be easy to um, talk about, you know, punching the bully, for lack of better words, early, you know, scoring those six runs and whatnot. But um, to me, when facing LSU and when you hold them to, I'm going to say, three runs up until the ninth inning, because obviously Trey Morgan hit that two-run shot um, there in the ninth to make it 8-5, it has to be the pitching. I mean – the pitching was absolutely phenomenal in that game, and especially from David Christie, um, you know, being able to go six innings um, and able to only allow one run, three hits uh, against uh, a potent offense, such a potent offense in LSU, the nation's leading offense, at least coming into that game. So, um, I mean, there are a lot of teams in the SEC that LSU has run ruled. So to be able to hold them like that, I think that was extremely impressive. It's definitely going to be a um, a game that Christie and his family um, will never forget. They should never forget. And um, no, I think that was my biggest takeaway. Was and and, and look, I think everybody uh, did their part as far as uh, uh, who came into the game, but as far on the on the bump, all three. But, uh, but that's, that was really my, my takeaway was just uh, how well they pitched on the ball. You know, a win like this can do a lot of good, and as Matt Deggs told us afterwards, it can cover up a lot of sins. Do you believe that this team, with its veteran experience, can use this win and kind of turn a corner and try to make a charge to be an at-large team for an NCAA regional without having to win the conference tournament again? Um, they could absolutely turn this into that. And, you know, with – I feel like when you're talking about a Matt Deggs team, it just takes a spark to light a fire. You know what I mean? Like, like, And we've seen that in, in years past where it hasn't taken much and then all of a sudden they're going on a run. I mean, that, that Wolfpack mentality is something that's very real uh, within their culture. And so I absolutely think that they have a chance to do that by the time it's all said and done. 
but they are going to need to handle their business during the rest of the regular season. Um, and obviously that doesn't mean going undefeated down the stretch because that's pretty much impossible. But in the last three or four weeks of the season, I guess it would be four weeks of the season, they're going to play two ranked opponents. They're going to play Coastal Carolina, who I believe is in the top ten right now at home um, for a three-game series. That one's going to be huge. And then the last week of the season, they travel to Southern Miss for another team that's ranked right now in the top 25. And so when it comes to those two series, and then obviously the, the other ones too, like ULM, like Texas State, which, you know, Texas State obviously uh, always upfields a pretty good squad. ULM's always going to be feisty as well. Um, if they can handle business in those series, specifically Coastal Carolina and, and Southern Miss, to me, if you split in any type of way, if you go three and three against Southern Miss and Coastal Carolina, I think that goes pretty well. If you win, if you win both of those series, then we're really talking about them being in an excellent position um, to, to be in at large. So uh, I, I think that's going to be really important to when they go into the conference tournament, if they will have to win it outright or if they will need to maybe just win one or two uh, in order to be able to continue on. They jumped 14 spots in RPI from the win. They're still on the outside looking in. But like you mentioned, they're going to have great opportunities against Coastal and then on the road at Southern Miss. But that also means that they have to take care of their business against the likes of ULM, against the likes of James Madison that starts this weekend. Uh, They have an opportunity to get in, but they also have very little room for error, right, Seth? Like they can't afford to drop a series like they did last weekend when they lost to Troy? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I don't think they can they can afford to, to drop a series. You know, um, I think that the win certainly helped their marching of error. You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, obviously you would think that they'd be able to go to James Madison maybe coming off of this, use that momentum to win at least two or three, two or three up there. But, um you know, going to that same scenario, you know, let's say for some reason they did lose the series this weekend, but then they did beat those two opponents. Like, they just make it harder on themselves, essentially, if they don't handle their business. Um, in, in these other series against James Madison, against ULM, against Texas State. Um, and then hopefully as well, and, uh, and David certainly say this, you know, they've been going through a lot of injuries too. And so, Hopefully, as they go through this stretch run of the season, they are they start to get back some of their uh, guys, like a Julian Brock, uh, who, who's been out lately, but you know came into that game uh, as a pinch hitter uh, and as a designated hitter uh, eventually. Uh, I think when those guys come back too, it'll be interesting to see uh, how their Kyle DeBarge, some of those guys' momentum uh, can can catapult the, the Cajuns. And the other thing, Seth, you know, we can't haven't really talked all that much about it. We've talked about some of the injuries that they've had with DeBarge and others. But Carson Rockefort, who looked to be the preseason player of the year, a guy that was going to have a monster year, he's having a good year if you just look at his stats, but he's not having the type of year we all thought he would. If they can get him going finally and start playing to the potential that he showed last year, this is a totally different team. That's scary. <laughs> you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, 
as good of a season as he's had, you know, when talking to Coach Dez before the season, you know, he's like, this is somebody that the goal is All-American. That's the goal for Carson. That's what, that's what we're shooting for. And so, yeah, if he can get back to his form from last year, it's scary. But I tell you what, um, in his place, what about Heath Hood? I mean, he's been phenomenal. <laughs> and he seems to uh, always come up in big spots. Uh, obviously, he had a two-run two home run uh, in, that, in that contest against LSU. And uh, if they can combine that, and, I mean, like Julian Brock is someone else who's, who's had a pretty good year as well. Uh, if, they can, if they can get Carson to, to join the party a little bit more, like you said, when you look at the stats, it's good, but it's not to the level that, that we knew necessarily from last year where he legitimately, in my eyes, he was the Sun Belt Player of the Year. Um, I understood why I went to the, the guy from Texas State, uh, but, I mean, his numbers were unbelievable um, for Louisiana. And so it's just going to be it, – it would be interesting. It would make it a lot more – it would spice things up if, uh, if, if he returned to that level. We're talking with Seth Lewis, sports director at KATC, talking all things Raging Cajuns here on this morning's edition of RP3 and Company. Seth, I want to stay on the diamond, but I want to switch over to the softball team. You know, Jerry Glasgow was very aggressive with the scheduling this year. He wanted to have his team face top-level opponents, top-notch competition, and they've done so in their non-conference slate, but they've lost more of those games than they've won, and they're in a position now here in the Sunbelt Conference where they'll probably win the regular season title again and they'll probably win the conference tournament which they'll host this year do you think their resume is strong enough for them to be able to host an NCAA regional for the first time under Coach Glasgow I think that when you look at how many of those games like you said that they've lost I mean it would have been really nice if they went to Texas and beat Baylor and or Texas A&M, like especially uh, considering, you know, what happened in Clearwater and, and some of those things. Uh, I think it, it might be tough to host, but I will say, you know, UL's RPI has continued to stay um, in the top 10. And I think that is encouraging. Now, you know, they have to do a lot of winning um, down the stretch, and they probably would need some other things to fall. Um, but that is the one part that is that has been very encouraging for them is the fact that the RPI has continued to be so high. But um, but it, it, it may be tough, but to be honest, I think let's say they don't host, right? Because um, obviously they'll, they'll even be hosting the Sun Belt Tournament um, this year at Lampson. Even if they don't host, this UL team, um, you know, they've lost a lot of those games, and obviously the results matter, right? It doesn't matter if you if you lose by one, you lose by ten, like, you know, or, or win is a win and a, a loss is a loss. But uh, it's not like they've been getting their doors blown off either. You know what I mean? Like, they, they've been playing some really quality opponents, and they've been really close, and it's been that one thing that hasn't allowed them to, to uh, get over the hump in some of those games. Like, obviously, uh, they got a good win um, against LSU. They got a good win against Florida. But um, but I think that if they have to travel 
for their regional, um, I think that they are probably as dangerous as any team that he's had. Probably it's them and the 2020 squad. I mean, that team was, was phenomenal, and obviously the season uh, got canceled due to, uh, due to COVID. But, yeah, I think this squad, no matter if they do sneak into hosting like a 15-16 seed or if they get sent to uh, someone else's regional, uh, you know, depending on, I guess, where it is, uh, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if they were able to reach the Super Region. I'll tell you that. And, you know, and they're in a weird spot, too, because, you know, they could host, which means if they host, there could probably be like a 15, 14, 15, right? Which means they're going to get one of the best number two seeds in the entire tournament mm-hmm. coming to them and being at their regional. Or... They could be that number two seed for somebody else and be that dangerous team. So, you know, some of the Cajun fans feel like, I really want them to host a regional. Others are like, they have a clear path if they're actually a two seed and go to somebody else's regional and they can be spoilers. So it's interesting with Jerry Glasgow's team. I'll wrap it up with this, Seth. We see this team. He tweaks the lineup. He's tweaking it for defensive purposes. They keep moving kids around, trying to put them there. Sometimes that means sacrificing a bat out of the lineup. Do you think the defense is possibly the Achilles heel for this year's Raging Cajun softball team? It could be. It definitely could be. I know lately uh, he's been favoring at least uh, offensive lineups, uh, and and people are, are moving all around somewhat to positions that are uh, that are not most comfortable to them or whatnot. And so um, if that's what he decides to go with, uh, ultimately, like, that defense could absolutely be the, the Achilles heel uh, for this team. Now, the pitching, you know, the pitching has been great. You know, Megan Shorman in the circle um, has really, really done well this year. Um, as their ace, Sam Landry, has come along in the last month or so. Um, and that's been really good to see, especially with all of the promise that she showed last year. And then Kendra Lamb, um, you know, who it feels like she's been at UL now six years, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe she has, but she has done um, a great job in being that closer late in games. And so um, you have the pitching, and, you know, you don't want to depend on let's say, building a lead so that you can maybe throw uh, some people out there defensively a little bit more during games or whatnot. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that absolutely could be their Achilles heel if they decide to continue with an offensive lineup. But, you know, who knows? You know, Jerry, Jerry does take with the with the lineup some, and he's obviously going to do whatever he feels is best to put the team in position to win. Seth, appreciate your time. As always, brother, keep up the tremendous work you and your team are doing at KETC, my friend. Thank you so much, and enjoy your weekend. You too, man. Appreciate your RP3. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat. 
twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It helps when you push the buttons properly. And um, that's me, not him. <laughs> just just saying. I looked up and had panic because all my lights were on. I was like, "There's, I don't know what's going on here. Oh, man. Let's get back to this poll question of the day because I, I have people texting me now. Big, big Hendon Hooker guys out there. Lots of big Hendon Hooker guys out there. You know, small sample size. A lot of guys have a small sample size. You know, some guys break out. Do I believe that Hendon Hooker probably would have been in the mix for the Heisman Trophy? Yes. Before he got injured, yes. I absolutely believe that. Do I believe that he was making a jump in college? After year one at Tennessee, yes. But but remember, if you want to compare him to other guys that transferred in, because remember, Hidden Hooker began, began his career at Vitek. He didn't play. He was a backup that didn't even attempt to pass. And then he became a starter. 13 to 2 touchdown interception ratio, about 1,500 yards passing. In 2020, he completed 65% of his passes, only 1,300 yards, 9 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. Transfers to Tennessee, lights it up, right? 31 touchdowns, three picks, really came on late in that year, started lighting it up. And then he started lighting it up to begin 2022. He was an okay quarterback at Vitek. He became a good one under Heupel. And, and this goes back to my, always my big point when it comes to quarterbacks. It's all about where you go. You have to be developed. Obviously, Hooker was an okay to mediocre quarterback at Virginia Tech. He ends up going with Josh Heupel and Josh is able to find something inside of him and utilize him and get him to go to new heights. That's great. It all depends on where he goes in the NFL. You put Hendon Hooker with the Raiders, he's not going to succeed. Right? And Hendon coming off an ACL tear and being 25 years old needs some help. He's going to need some grooming. He's going to need some time. And so many times, we see it over and over again, bad NFL franchises draft a quarterback to make the quarterback their savior. And they don't have the offensive line in front of them. They don't have the pieces on the outside for him to throw to. And they give bad coaching and bad development. And we see guys thrown to the trash bin year after year because of that. Because there's not enough coaches that can develop quarterbacks in the NFL. That's why I always have trepidation. I like Hendon Hooker. You put him on the right team and the right kind of organization, he could probably thrive. 
But where he's projected to go, no, no. Hour two in the books. Hour three coming up right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Hour number three has arrived, our final hour. Coming up a half hour from right now, James Landrino. McNeese softball coach while the cowgirls look to be one of the best teams in the country they look like they're bound for another NCAA regional we'll talk with coach about their season and about how once again they look like one of the best teams in the country that's coming up half an hour from right now don't forget also to vote on our poll question of the day it's about the quarterback prospects for this year's NFL draft who do you think is going to be the best Is it Bryce Young? Is it C.J. Stroud? Is it Anthony Richardson? Is it Will Levis? Is it Hendon Hooker? Go vote. And then also leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And we'll make sure to share those throughout today's show before we wrap things up for today and for the week. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk recruiting with our old friend, a man who works for I do believe 17 different publication websites. Uh, He travels. He lives that uh, lifestyle of the rich and famous. Our good friend Jarrett Rozier joins us now. Jarrett, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right. Far far from rich and famous, but I'm doing all right now that I'm (laughs) chatting with you all. What's up, man? What's up, brother? So let's, uh, let's dive in here to basketball recruiting because the LSU men... Matt McMahon has been very aggressive with the transfer portal, and the theme so far has been getting guys that are from the state of Louisiana to come back home to play for the Tigers. What do you make of what you've seen from Matt McMahon and what type of players that he's brought in have really stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the big trend is it's it's very similar to what we saw in terms of a focus from Brian Kelly coming in and trying to get Louisiana guys back to LSU. Um, and, and so of four big transfer additions the last few weeks or so, three of them have been former Louisiana, and not just Louisiana, but really Baton Rouge area prep standouts. Uh, you have a, a guard in Jalen Cook that LSU had actually signed initially out of Walker High School a couple years back, but he ended up transferring to Tulane for a bigger opportunity for a couple of years there in terms of his role and has really grown up into a fantastic guard as a scorer and a distributor, um, one of the the top guards in their conference the last couple of years. And he comes with a couple of his former AAU teammates who were also Dunham State Championship teammates in Jordan Wright at Vanderbilt, a 6'6 forward that had started to gain some recruiting steam late in his high school career, but ended up uh, you know, up in Nashville before LSU could make a move on him. Uh, he he comes back to finish his college career. And Carlos Stewart, the latest announcement 
the former Mr. Louisiana basketball player of the year, uh, Gatorade player of the year, and all those things from Dunham a couple years after Jordan Wright has been a fantastic guard uh, out at Santa Clara the last few years. And you pair those three with a big, efficient, skilled former Texas signee in Will Baker, a seven-footer coming from Nevada, and there is a lot of buzz for an LSU men's program right now that hadn't had any really since, uh, you know, those those early weeks where Matt McMahon and company were trying to reshape the roster on the fly uh, after after first arriving to Baton Rouge. Uh, it was uh, a rough, certainly SEC stretch of their first season, but there's there's some nice buzz happening for that program again right now on, on the transfer trail. Do you believe that this past season and how much they struggled, especially in SEC play, made Matt kind of reevaluate his approach to getting guys in, bringing in transfers, because he sure is getting a higher caliber of basketball player to come in this time around compared to his first time around. Yeah, I'm I'm sure a lot of year one was uh, a learning process in terms of being in the SEC uh, and just kind of the lay of the land of of the program and and strengthening some of those uh, some of those recruiting connections around certainly the state because as much as these three transfers from originally from Louisiana have been all over the country in recent years, they've I mean this has remained home. I, I talk to high school guys. It seems like every few weeks who say that they're working out with one or the other of them. So they're guys that are, are around and connected with their high school coaches and their AAU coaches and, and everything. And so I, I think you see in a variety of ways, McMahon and company learned from this first year. Um, and, you know, th- th- I thought they pulled in some nice, some nice transfers last year uh, at the time, but, it, you know, they were, they were coming in with a, a program that was under the mire of, uh, of violations and whatnot. And a lot of people didn't know what to expect from LSU, let alone LSU with a, a new coaching staff and, and they were having to rebuild that roster really from scratch uh, as quickly as possible. And so now they're a little bit more comfortable, have a little bit more momentum in terms of just being here, being settled in um, and, and having that first year of learning. Let's stay with LSU. The women's program, obviously a historic season winning the national title. And I've argued that no one has mastered the transfer portal more quickly either on the men's side or the women's side in this country than Kim Mulkey did and it helped bring LSU its first national championship in basketball both men or women she has some losses some girls are moving on to the WNBA but it's been all kind of quiet on the transfer portal front and I thought for sure that we'd be hearing some news by now I know the Louisville guard grad transfer was in town that's someone that Kim knows well because she tried to recruit her out of high school oh what do you make of things being kind of quiet for the LSU women when it comes to the transfer portal yeah I think they they just don't have a ton of spaces to work with in that regard they're not having to rebuild the entire roster they they lose some key pieces uh particularly Ladesia Williams and Alexis Morris but you know they they only lose three or four girls from this national championship or young ladies from this national championship team. And they have the number one high school signing class in the country coming in led by 
Parkway star Michaela Williams, who has succeeded not just at the high school level, but every level, including international competition and, and everything um, that, that she's been involved with from a very young age. And so you bring in four girls in that currently number one signing class uh, from that level. There's been so much, you know, you mentioned it, it's kind of quiet because I think we would have we thought when Haley Van Lith announced that she was entering the portal or when that news broke a couple weeks ago that she was entering the portal, it seemed like it was going to be some kind of quick movement. And I was joking with a coach the other day. I followed her on Instagram that day and set up notifications so that whenever she posts that she's committed to LSU, I would have that notification right away to be able to act quickly. And she's just been kind of out living life. I'm getting notifications. Haley Van Lith's getting ice cream or Haley Van Lith's hanging out with friends or whatever. <laughs> Uh, it's it's been a little bit longer of a, a stretch than I anticipated, but she was in Baton Rouge this week and certainly looked comfortable. Um, she's she's someone that you mentioned the relationship with Kim Mulkey. Baylor almost got Haley out of high school uh, before she ended up going to Louisville, and so I think you're not looking at a a big expectation of volume from the transfer portal this year for the Lady Tigers. You're just looking at a, a one or two big pieces. And Haley Van Lith is, uh, a, you know, not height-wise, but in terms of production, one of the biggest pieces that you can get and someone that I think the Lady Tigers are very well positioned with. Um, and, and so we'll just wait and see when an actual announcement comes. It just also seems like such a great fit because she's a bit of a trash talker herself, and that's going to oh, yeah. fit right in with Kim Mulkey's team. So it, it makes it makes all the sense in the world. So we'll see what happens there. Let's switch over to... Our old friend who's now in Lake Charles, Will Wade. We knew he was going to hit the transfer portal. We know he can recruit. What do you make of what he's been able to do early on with the five signees, one kid from JUCO College and the other four from Division I basketball programs? Yeah, it seemed like for a stretch there every couple days, you're adding a nice D1 transfer, C.J. Felder from Florida, the forward, D.J. Richards from UTSA. Uh, a big guard that was productive out there for the Roadrunners, uh, Javon Garcia from UMass, who scored over 20 points a game uh, this past season for UMass. And Zach Harvey from uh, UC Santa Barbara, a guy that had originally signed high major with, with Cincinnati out of high school. And so you, you're adding a lot of tall, long, athletic guys that have high-level experience, and it, it kind of feeds into – what Will was saying when when he was introduced as McNeese's next basketball coach that he's not sitting around and and content to to be competitive in league and and whatnot and uh, he he wants to go win at a high level uh, you know in the league and beyond and he doesn't want to wait a whole lot of time to do so he he realized with some of the developments of the NCA uh, recruiting dynamics in recent years he realized that you're trying to act quickly and build the best team you can in each given year uh, and, and that there's a lot less room for patience, it seems like, in college sports right now. And so he's hit the ground running and, and is trying to put together a team that's going to be uh, really fun to watch and, and really competitive and, and go chase some things year one. What do you think he still needs to do there with, the, with, with his class? Obviously, he's building it from the ground up, and a lot of the guys that he inherited have entered the portal themselves. So what do you think he still needs to do on the recruiting trail? Yeah, I'm, I mean, when you see as many guys as has entered the portal for McNeese State, because 
as I as as many as I've seen have been coming, it seems like you see at, at least that many going. And so you are kind of starting from scratch. They've they've got a good mix in those five that we were just talking about. But I mean, you just need to continue to go out there and get the the best players you can get and and fill out that roster because it takes more than five certainly to to win at a, a high level in division one um and so he needs to to keep an eye and and i i say that he he knows and has already 20 steps ahead of of either of us uh in terms of what he's looking for and they did a really good job i thought when they were at lsu of having a program that he referenced uh, quite a bit where they could kind of evaluate based on style of play and, and different analytics of who would be a good transitional fit uh, and, and come into what they were trying to do, regardless of what the the raw numbers might look like in their, their previous spots. And so he was able to find some steals, I thought, on the transfer portal and I think is in the process of doing that now and just needs to kind of keep up what they're doing and, and build a little bit more depth to it. We're talking with Jarrett Rozier. Louisiana sports writer, also with Louisiana versus all y'all, contributor for Tiger Details, Prep Red Zone Louisiana, and Prep Hoops Louisiana. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's shift our attention to football for the class of 2024. Give me some guys that are kind of on the rise and, and maybe some guys that you're going to be paying attention to, especially with seven on seven season going to be beginning here in a matter of just a few months. Yeah, it's I mean it's crazy kind of the the timelines of things now with with football recruiting certainly with the transfer portal just the I mean the continued impact of the early signing period pushing things up farther and farther where Louisiana has had five guys announce in the past 5 5 and a half days their commitments uh for that 2024 class and that runs the number up I believe to to 13 for the class so far that have committed. And I think we're about to see a, a really hectic stretch of commitments entering the summer because seven on seven is, is actually kind of winding down. Now, some of that has moved up to where you're seeing national championship events that used to be mid summer, summer occurring in the next couple of weeks and trying to finish up before uh, more States get into their high school spring session. Uh, And so as, as that winds down, college football spring games kind of wrap up. High school spring sessions ramp ramp up in the next couple of weeks. You're seeing more and more guys that uh, these colleges are, are kind of expecting to be committed, make commitment announcements before their senior season. And certainly by December, uh, you're seeing a lot pop really quickly. Um, you know, a guy there locally for y'all in Baton Rouge, I mean, in Lafayette was – one of the announcements this week in Matthew Mayfield from Bo Shen, a guy who had started his high school career at Terling's Catholic, but is over at Bo Shen now. And I think a really underrated receiver that Mississippi state was able to get on early before more colleges figured out a little bit about what he can do when he gets to some college campuses uh, this summer. And so that was kind of the theme of this week. Oklahoma was in early on a guy, KJ Daniels from Franklinton and gets his commitment on Monday uh, before he's had a chance to get around much more. It had been Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and, and a couple of other uh, local regional schools that had, had been on KJ early. Taj Butler, the latest, and, and Edna Carr, linebacker yesterday, had only had in-state schools. And Georgia Tech, uh, with Ricky Brumfield, a New Orleans native who had been on him, and he, he makes his commitment to Georgia Tech 
Uh, they they get him to announce that again before he gets a chance to get to, to more college campuses this summer. And, um, you know, keep an eye on an announcement tomorrow, at least one announcement tomorrow for LSU with with their spring game. I know some high school guys are going to be around there and, and they're expecting some movement as these commitments start to, to pick up in frequency here uh, late April and early May. Jared, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, bud. You got it, man. Pleasure as always. Y'all have a great weekend. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Dawson and I have spent a lot of time talking about the draft, but we've also made sure to make it a point to remind you that there's no such thing as a can't-miss prospect. Right? Going to the right team, the right situation, the right coaching always matters. There's no such thing as a can't-miss prospect. If it was, you wouldn't have more than half the guys drafted every single year that don't pan out. Right? But but that's the reality. And we focus so much on quarterback because it's the most, you know, it's the position that's in the biggest spotlight in the NFL. But wide receivers have a ton of guys that don't work out, tight end. Right? There's some positions that you don't notice if they don't work out as much. Offensive line, because you don't really pay attention to O-line. And even if you're a bad offensive lineman, let's say you're a bust, you, you don't work out, you still get work, and you still go unnoticed. And you'll look up and you'll be like, oh, that guy was, wasn't very good to be played 10 years in the league, right? So there's certain positions, O-line, D-line, that you can kind of hide a, a guy if he doesn't live up to his potential. But every year we go through this draft process, Dawson, and every year we have people screaming on television, this kid is a can't-miss prospect. He is going to be a game changer. Every prospect is flawed. Every single one. There's something about their game that isn't perfect. But they have to go to a situation that is perfect for them, for them to succeed. I don't care if they're quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Think about Michael Thomas being a second-round draft pick. He goes to a team that is offensive-oriented, and he has a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. Would Michael Thomas have been the record-setting wide receiver if he would have had, I don't know, you know, 
Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback? Fitzmagic? Probably not, right? So it depends on situations. Always, don't forget that. Tom Brady is nauseated. I'm always nauseated by the people that are saying, well, he's the greatest of all time. He also went to the perfect situation for him. He didn't have to be the starter right off the bat. He wasn't the franchise savior. Drew Bledsoe was the man, a Pro Bowl starting quarterback. They had a legit great defense and probably the best kicker of all time. So Tom's situation early in his career was tailor-made because he didn't have to be the guy. He could learn for a year how to be a pro. He could beef up. He could learn the playbook. Oh, and he could lean on a sensational defense featuring Mike Vrabel, featuring Teddy Bruschi and Ty Law and all these other guys that were some of the best to ever play. And depend on a great kicker. And then... He already won a couple Super Bowls and put those on the mantle. And then he developed into one of the best throwing quarterbacks the league has ever seen. If he goes anywhere else, do we even know about Tom Brady? Probably not. So it matters where you go. And I just want to bring this up because someone shared this. NFL Rookie Watch on Twitter. Sometimes Twitter is a great place. Most of the time it isn't, but sometimes it is. 13 years ago, Mel Kuyper, draft expert, the guru, the man with the helmet hair, said that in eight years, Jimmy Clausen wasn't a successful NFL quarterback that Mel Kuyper would retire. Clausen was drafted 48th overall by the Panthers. He played just one year in Carolina, two seasons after that before being out of the league. In his short career, Jimmy Clausen had more fumbles than passing touchdowns. He also had a two-point, a two-to-one interception to touchdown ratio, and his career record was one in twenty. It matters where you go. It matters who coaches you. It matters how your franchise is operated from the front office down. So when they try to tell you in between now and Thursday that these guys are can't-miss prospects, this guy has qualities that are going to be make him a Hall of Famer, do yourself a favor, favor, take your remote and hit the mute button and go get yourself a snack. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, James Landrino, the McNeese head softball coach, will join us live right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. (music) 
The Minis softball team, to the surprise of no one that pays attention, is once again having a tremendous season. They stand 34-12 and overall, 14-1 and in Southland Conference play, and they're coming off posting yet another win against a top 25 opponent, their third one of the season when they defeated LSU earlier this week on Tuesday, 4-3, to followed that up with a 6-2 win over UT Arlington. They have the weekend off before they'll get ready for a three-game set against Southeastern that begins on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Joining us now to talk about his team's tremendous season so far is the man in charge of the Cowgirls, James Landrino, joins us. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate Doing great, Doing great this morning. Appreciate you making the time, brother. Well, first question, um, I mean, y- y'all just making it look easy beating top 25 ranked opponents, bud. I mean, yeah, you, just, you, got, you, you guys got this mastered now, that. huh? There's nothing easy about that, man. There's nothing easy. Now, far from mastered, you know, the, the, the wins have been great. And, but, you know, we've had some, some sharp falls in many of those games as, as equally. So, um Great, great night the other night. Great environment. You know, appreciate our fan base showing up. It's a sellout crowd for us. So it's always good to play in front of that kind of environment and have some success while doing so. So I think it's a great experience for our kids. Kind of felt like a regional type atmosphere. What does it do or what does it say about your program that even though uh, you guys play in the Southland Conference, that you're able to go toe to toe? and take down teams out of the SEC, out of the Pac-12, and more? Well, it, look, when when you're in the inside and, and you're working every day, you just work for your team to be the best possible team they could be. You know, we've been fortunate to get some really talented players in here and, and kind of buy into the process of, of kind of getting out of that limitations of where you are and who do, and kind of stick to who you want to become. And that that's kind of been our motto. It doesn't matter, you know, what the brand is that we're playing. It, can we play our best softball day in and day out and work to be our best version of, of who we are? And, uh, and and it's paid off for our kids. You know, they have a ton of buy-in. Uh, they believe the game is a very unique game where it, it's it's it, you put in time, put in work, and, and anybody can win on any given day. And, and so our, our kids are tremendous. You know, that they don't really get caught up too much in the outside of who we're playing or stats of that nature. And I think that's what allows them to stay calm in those big moments and just play like they play every day. Coach, I, I'm not going to dive in on the, the semantics of why Jill Pollard left the team and you guys parted ways. What I do want to ask you is this. It, you lose a, a star player and yeah. your team rallies and finds a way to not have the season get derailed, to not have their goals get away from them. How proud are you of the way those young ladies responded after that happened and the way they've played the rest of the season? Yeah, I don't think words will do justice uh, for, for how, how proud I am of this team. You know, they, they, they've really done a great job of staying focused and staying the course. You know, we talk all the time about, you know, our, our, our goals of beginning a season, season, setting a mission plan out and staying the course to the mission plan and nothing else comes in that way. And in this situation, our, our players were able to stay focused on what the mission was and the people in the locker room. And, and our team has, has done a great job of um, communication with each other and myself 
Uh, we've done a great job of, of staying the course of what's next and, and not getting caught off what's not here or what's past. And, uh, yeah, very, very proud. You know, just, just in the LSU game, that moment right there, we give up three in the first. Uh, just Ashley Vallejo, just seeing her be able to go back out there, that game could have got away from us rather easily. And uh, just seeing her be able to kind of settle back in and pitch outstanding game. But more importantly, you know, when that team came into the locker room, I mean, into the dugout, just seeing the composure and, hey, it's it's one pitch at a time, hey, one inning, let's just go ahead and, and find a way to get somebody on base. And, um, you know, we always talk about it. If we could grind out at bats one through nine, it's going to be somebody different every day almost that, that comes up with a big hit but everybody gets the reward from it. So um, a total team effort, but yes, extremely, to answer your question, extremely proud of these young ladies. Uh, last three weeks have been really fun to coach these kids. We're talking with McNeese head softball coach, James Landrino. He joins us here on RP3 and company. What's the biggest challenge to keeping a team focused on such a long season? Yeah, I, I think, you you know, anytime you have success, especially with, you know, we're playing a lot of young players right now that maybe haven't been in that situation before. And I, I think it's to make sure they stay hungry, you know, and they don't get content or, or rely on what's happened up until this point and stays focused on what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and I think that's always going to be an issue with, with every single team. And, you know, it's what we have to talk about a lot. You know, we had a good win against Washington, I felt like the next day we came out and, you know, no discredit to, I think, South Alabama, that they, they, they played well. But uh, we didn't come out and play the same intensity that we had played with in previous games against a North Texas and a Washington team. So uh, I, I hope we learn from that and, and we learned that no game is a, a given, that, that you have to go out there and earn it. So, yeah, I mean, the focus is making sure, you know, a lot of times with success becomes uh, – your greatest downfall because you get very content. You quit doing the things that you've been doing to get to that point. With the schedule now being what it is, you have three series left, no more midweek contests against non-conference opponents, but you have this weird kind of moment <laughs> in the season here where you played on Wednesday, but you don't play again until on Tuesday. And then you're playing conference doubleheader on Tuesday on top of that. Uh, yeah, th this weird kind of scheduling thing where you have this week off, essentially. How are you approaching it with your team? Yeah, you know, yesterday we took a day off. Uh, did a little community service last night, but we, we took the day off. And today we'll go kind of a light day. And then, you know, for Saturday, we'll, we'll go inner squad trying to mimic playing a game. You don't want to get out of rhythm. And then we'll do something very similar on Sunday. Then, you know, Monday will get a travel day with a light practice at Southeastern. So, uh, trying trying to get, you know, we're, we're a little banged up, so I think it comes at a decent time where we can kind of get some players healed up going into the back out, the back stretch of the season. So that that part's worked well. Uh, you know, the good thing is the the midweek three games against Southeastern comes off of a bye week for us. So I actually think it works well. You know, I, I'd hate to play three games on the weekend and have to spin around and play three games in the middle of the week and, you know, then you still got a conference series to get ready, only one day off to get ready for another conference series. So it is a very unique schedule. Uh, looks like it's only going to be a one-year thing. I think when we added UIW, uh, stayed in the league, and Lamora came back, it kind of threw things. Scheduling become, it became an issue. So that's what the league had to do to make it work. But, uh, yeah, that, that, that's going to be our approach this week is try to stay in some rhythm but also get some kids kind of freshened up and healed up a little bit. What do you guys have to do 
the rest of the way with these three series left, these nine games against Southeastern on the road next week, then at home versus Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and then the three-game set at Houston Christian. What do you guys have to do to wrap up the regular season title and get that number one seed for the Southland Conference Tournament, Coach? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for us is to not think about that part of it, right? To play, you know, it's one game at a time. And, you know, we, we talk about staying relevant. What our players have done really well is is staying very in the moment. You know, that, that they do a good job of playing one game at a time and not kind of worried about the future. We, we set the goals at the beginning of the year, and we know where we want to get to, but it's about the process of getting there. Right now, our process is, hey, let's make sure we have a good week of prep, prep work or practice this week. And, and then when we go to Southeast, it's, it's play the game one game at a time. And then once that series is over, we'll move on to the next. Uh, that That's the mental side of it. You know, from, from the physical side of what we need to do in the game is continue to pitch well and not allow free passes. I think our pitching staff has done a great job of being in the zone and attacking the zone, minimizing free passes. And when we play good defense, you know, we're in every game. So that that's the biggest keys for us is continue to play good defense, pitch the ball well, and and that offensive lineup to continue to grow. And it been able to see it mature as the season goes on. That leads me to my next question. You know, we, the media, focus so much on RPI, and, and so do yeah. fans, right? And, yeah. and, and you guys look like a, a team that, even if you don't win the conference tournament, you'll have a great case to make it as an at-large. But as the head coach, you can't concern yourself with RPI and where you're at with all of that because you know you'll punch your ticket to an NCAA regional if you take care of business and win the conference tournament, right? I mean, that has to be the focus. You can't be concerned about the RPI. Yeah, you know, you, you try to set your schedule at the beginning of the season for a couple of things. Is it going to be a good se- a schedule that's going to challenge your team? Uh, I like playing tough teams because when you make mistakes, you, you know, you get exposed and, and you learn pretty quick how good you have to play to beat a top-level team. Um, I also think it prepares you for if you do make a postseason, you've played those caliber of teams before, so it's nothing new to you. The second thing is you do want it to be a good RPI schedule, you know, to give yourself a fair shot of, of getting in a large bid or putting yourself in a good situation, being in a good seed. Um, but w- once it gets going, you can't change it. You know, um, RPI is based on what, what do you do, what do your opponents do, and you don't really have a whole ton, kind of, ton of con- uh, control on what everyone else is going to do at this point. So you just got to take care of yourself and, you know the focus has to stay within and how you prepare every day and how you play we'll wrap it up with this coach you've been doing this for a long time what's the thing that you enjoy that kind of fills up your heart and soul more than anything else about coaching man i I think honestly with you it's really when our players leave our program or, you know, that the growth of them from when they get here to a freshman, they leave. You know, that we have, we have so many kids when they come here, they come here just to play softball. And then by, by their junior and senior year, you see how much they care about their education. They, they actually care and take pride in having good grades. And, and that's rewarding within itself. But then kind of once they graduate, you, you talk to them and, and they say, you know, they're having success in the professional world. And they say they're using tools that they got here with discipline about how to be tough, how to handle adversity, um, 
you know, work ethic. And, and those kind of things are very, very rewarding, you know, along with, you know, the invitations to the weddings and go and watch them start their the next chapter in their life is, is probably the most rewarding part about this job. His team is 34 and 12 on the season, 14 and 1 in Southland Conference play. They have recorded not one, not two, but three wins against top 25 ranked opponents. They have the weekend off, but they'll gear up for a doubleheader at Southeastern Louisiana on Tuesday. Coach James Landrino joins us here. Coach, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, the game has a brand new app. That is right. Simply go to the App Store and download the new The Game mobile app. You can search The Game Southwest Louisiana, find our articles, listen live or on demand, and connect with us. Don't wait to download the mobile app. Do so today. We got a new mobile app. It's The Game Southwest Louisiana. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast and Houston Chronicle contributor. Seth Lewis, sports director from KATC. Jarrett Rozier, recruiting analyst from Rivals. And James Landrino, McNeese softball coach. A jam-packed Friday edition of RP3 and Company. We also spent plenty of time today discussing the NBA playoffs and the Philadelphia 76ers opting to see how many players they can either kick or punch in the groin area. So they were successful. They won the game, and they got two of those guys. So good for them. Good for them. It's good to have goals, right? It's good to have goals. Poll question of the day, who is going to be the best quarterback in this year's NFL draft? Is it Bryce Young from Alabama? I think he's probably the smartest of the kids, but he's undersized. C.J. Stroud. I feel like he's got the highest floor, if you will. Anthony Richardson, he probably has the most potential, the highest ceiling of all of them. He is built and has measurables like Cam Newton. But I watched him play actual football, and I went, ooh, really? If you're struggling against Vanderbilt, uh, it's going to give me cause for concern that you can handle playing in the NFL. Or is it other? A lot of people are high on Will Levis. Are you going to get 2021 Will Levis? Or are you going to get 2022 Will Levis? And Hendon Hooker, who I like a lot, but he's 25 coming off the ACL. Whew. Final results. 44% of you say Bryce Young. 
28% say C.J. Stroud, 21% say other. People love other. And 7% say Anthony Richardson. Robert Duplachan says in three years it will be Levis. Oh, he will get drafted to a better team and be able to sit for a year and hone the massive skills that he has. Some project him going to the Raiders. That's usually what I like to call the kiss of death. So, uh, I don't know, man. Texan and Katie says, none. The Texans should draft Rico Dynamite. He can throw a football over a mountain. I'm here for Napoleon Dynamite references, by the way, and Uncle Rico all day long. Darren says, I hope the Jets can pivot and get a quarterback maybe young, leave Rodgers with the Packers or retired. I really don't want to give up a lot of draft picks for him just for a year or two. Yeah, what's going on there? Sure feels like you'd like to have that figured out before the draft in a week, right? <laughs> yeah. um, you would think the Jets would like to get that figured out, and the Packers for that matter. Because if you're wanting to get draft picks, but, yeah. you, you'd like to I get that figured out. I think the one who out. doesn't care if it gets figured out, though, is Rodgers, who might have the most say. So I don't, I know, don't even know if that guy cares to play football ever again. I really don't. I think he, do- I think he really enjoys it. I just think he's at a he's at a weird part, and he's he's gone. T- he's a know. weird... He's, he's kind of a weird dude. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. He, he's... Oh, no, maybe... Weird has negative connotation. By the way, that's a big fancy word there for you, yeah, college nice boy. Job. Thank you. Um, he's just, you know, he's his own guy. Oh, he's like he's unique. out there. He's out there. He's out there. Bud, tremendous job by you this week. You lived up to the nickname producer extraordinaire. Bravo. Appreciate that. Bravo. Thanks. Great job by you, too. That was a great take you had earlier about the, you know, the draft and no sure thing as a prospect. I couldn't even say it better myself. No one is a sure thing. Just remember that no matter what they yell at you on television. That's going to do it for today's show. We'll be back on Monday 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. Bro Bridge country singer Michael Scott Boudreaux is